I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here this morning. Uh, I, I am really good friends with Jason, and we have been ever since uh, he came into this association. I've been in this association a little bit longer than Jason, and, and we've been really close friends, and, and Andrew and Chris now, your entire staff, we've always been close together and, and done stuff together, been on mission trips together, worked at children's camp together, and, and a lot of you I just know uh, because I've been around or you've been around where I've been, uh, but this almost feels like a second home to me. I, I appreciate the privilege to come over here and, and share with you. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach out of Hebrews 11 this morning. Uh, so you can turn over there, Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible says, and we're fixing to read it, that you and I are actually aliens here. Do you realize that? Do you realize that this is not your final home? In fact, the Bible says your citizenship is somewhere else. So let me, let me read that to you uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll begin in verse 8. Just follow with me, please. It says... Yeah, let's stand. Let's stand together. Hebrews eleven eight says this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would afterward receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed, look at this, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country that they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. And then verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let me, let me pray right quick. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would teach us from it through the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated if you would, please. I just want to say two main points to you this morning. I already said the first, but let me kind of reinforce it. Just like Abraham, we are aliens or we're pilgrims on our way from this country to another. I assume you know the story of Abraham. If you don't, you could go back to Genesis 12 and read how God called this guy, a 75-year-old man, out of the only life he had ever known and told him to go to a new place. He didn't even tell him where he was going, but, but he told him to go. And I, I think this, that everywhere that Sarah and Abraham and Lot, that they traveled, they stood out. They were from a different country, and here they were going into this new land, this land of Canaan. And I would imagine people said about them, who are these people? What are they doing here? Uh, Don't trust them until we get to know them a little better, because they were different people. Now, what I learned really uh, uh, close to home when I was in Madagascar is what it's like to be an alien. I'm not sure I really knew 
what it's like to be the odd guy, the, the, the one who does not fit in. But during that week, I certainly learned that. I've said that my, my skin color was different and we didn't speak the language. We didn't have the right kind of money. We didn't, or I was uh, taller than almost everybody that I saw who was there. But everywhere we went, we stood out. That's the point that I'm trying to make to you. We stood out. There was no hiding the fact that that was not our home. The Bible says that you and I ought to stand out here as well. It will not be because you're taller than somebody else. It won't be anything physical. But we ought to stand out spiritually where we are. Because this is not our home. This is not our home. We are not of this culture. We are not, uh, even though we live in this country, we're to be in it but not of it. We're We're not to have the same value system that everybody else does. Philippians 3.20, if you take notes, Philippians 3.20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, I don't want you to, to, to think that our role here then is just to sit back and wait for the Lord Jesus to come and get us. Because we've been commissioned to live this life to the full. In fact, even in the Old Testament, Uh, The book of Psalms says that we're to number our days. Lord, teach me to number my days, which I think means to live every day to the full. God's commissioned us to live our lives here and to be salt and light here. And we're to do that. But the point is this, that uh, the attractions and the trinkets and the things that people get so caught up in here should not be our main focus in this life. Because this life is not the end for us. This is not our home. And so we shouldn't get so tied to things here that... That, that, it, that, it, that it holds us right here. Philippians 3, Paul says a wonderful thing right into the church at Philippi. He talks about all the things that he's gathered in his life, all the awards, all the acknowledgments that people made of him. You know what he says about that? He says, once I came to know Christ, those things were like rubbish to me now. In other words, they didn't mean very much to me anymore. One of the things that Karen and I have learned in the last few weeks uh, since we moved from Moreland to O'Keen, is that we got a lot more stuff than we need. You know, <laughs> if you want to get rid of some stuff, you just need to move because you'll get to points where you say, "Man, I, I don't want to move that. I don't really need that." And 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 we tend, I think, to collect things in this life that we think are gonna uh, gonna be important to us, and they turn out not necessarily to be. But it ought to be that way because this is not our home. We ought to stand out as aliens here. This life is short. It's temporary. That life is eternal. And you're going to spend eternity somewhere. And so it's important to know where you're going to live. And hopefully in a better country, as Abraham said. I wanted to make a point with Abraham, and this would be it. That even though God called him from the place he was to this new land, this land of Canaan, Abraham knew that that was not it for him, that there was a heavenly home that awaited him. Now then, let me go to a second thing that I want to say about Abraham, and I'll, I'll try to talk you through an outline here, but it's a second major point is this. When we understand that this is not our home, it'll change how we live here. When we understand that we're pilgrims here, it'll change how we live here. Let me, let me show you some things that changed in Abraham when God called him to go and do a different thing. Abraham, number one, chose suffering in the will of God rather than comfort outside the will of God. When you're 75 years old and you've lived in the same place with the same people doing the same thing most all of your life, the comfortable thing is to just keep on doing that. But God said to Abraham, I want you to leave there 
and go there. And Abraham chose to do it. Maybe suffering is too strong a word. Maybe I would say that Abraham chose discomfort within the will of God rather than comfort outside the will of God. But that's what he did. Genesis 12 just seems to say to me that God said, Abraham, go. And Abraham went. He just packed up and he went. That's what he did. Verse 8 says here in our text that he didn't even know where he was going. God just said, go and and I'll stop you when you get there. And that's what Abraham did. Verse 15 says that Abraham didn't look back and long for his home because he knew he had opportunity to return if he did. He went forward with the Lord. If our lives are to be pleasing to God, we got to be willing to obey God. No matter what he says to us, we got to be willing to obey. And if he says go, then, then, then we go. I, I, I've always had great respect for Matt and Lucinda. I probably gained in that when I was over there because, uh, and, and a guy like a Kylan Kirkendall who's kind of left the life that he knew here to go somewhere else and, and give up all that he knows here to go somewhere because he feels like God has called him there. That's a great sacrifice to make. But to be in the will of God is always better than, better than to be out. Better to be uncomfortable or out of the rut at least. Uh, Better to suffer within the will of God than to be comfortable outside the will of God. But I want to say this to you quickly because we can almost get the impression from Abraham and what I said about Matt and Lucinda or or, or Kylan Kurgendahl that that when God calls, it always means we go somewhere else. It may not mean that at all. Your, your, um, Your suffering or your discomfort or your sacrifice might mean that you take finances that you've tended to just use for yourself and you put them to kingdom purpose. And that's the thing that you begin to do. You begin to get a vision that God, I could use this there. I, these resources that I, I got more stuff than what I need. I, I could use this for someone else for kingdom good. That may be the sacrifice that you make. It may mean that, that, that God calls you to build a relationship with a person, uh, a lost person. And you have to work at that in order to hopefully share the gospel with them someday. Or hopefully come to, uh, see them come to faith someday. Maybe God calls you... Uh, just to live the gospel out where you are, just to live it out in your work, in your life. Uh, I think God calls all of us to that, but maybe that's the thing that you've got to do, and maybe that makes you feel awkward in the setting that you live in. When God calls, we got to go. It's better to live in the will of God than outside the will of God. The second thing is this. Abraham set temporary pleasures aside for the hope of eternal reward. He set temporary pleasures aside hoping for eternal reward. I, I, I'm kind of fascinated by verse 13. I want, I want you to notice it with me. I read it to you, but, but just take note of it. It says that Abraham and Sarah and others in this chapter lived lives of faith with promises from God, and yet they didn't see those promises fulfilled. Now, what that says... Well, let's think about some of those promises. In Genesis 12, if you were to go back and read it, God said stuff like this to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. It meant he was going to have a number of descendants. God said that your name is going to be great. That all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Those kinds of things. And when Abraham died, those things hadn't happened yet. I mean, Abraham got to see his son Isaac born. And he got to see Jacob, his grandson, born. But he, he didn't have descendants like the sand of the seashore whenever he died. And he, his name wasn't great when he died. And all the nations hadn't been blessed through him when he died. He died in faith, trusting that God was going to do those things. But he didn't get to see it through. Those things all came later. The tendency for, for, for most men, I think is to try and collect all that we can here on earth as though this is it. I think we believe that our legacy 
is in the things we accumulate or in the awards we win or those kinds of things. And I'm not against somebody winning an award or, or having nice things. I'm just saying that's, uh, that's not all there is. That's not all there is. Jesus says different things than that. If your whole goal is to see how much you can gather here, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He says, rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because the moths don't get there, the rust doesn't get there. Nobody can get in there and steal it. That's what he said. Jesus also said stuff like this, Luke 12. He, he told the story of the rich fool. Do you remember that story? Here's a guy that had a great harvest. And instead of acknowledging this blessing from God and passing it on, what the guy's thought process was, was this. I don't have enough room for all this stuff, so what I'm going to do is I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns so I got more room for my stuff. You remember what Jesus said of that man? He said, you fool, you fool. Tonight your life is going to be demanded of you. And then whose stuff is it then? Whose stuff is it then? Jesus was saying, don't invest it here, invest it there. Jesus said in Luke 9, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul? So I'm saying, as Abraham did, we ought to set aside temporary pleasures for the the hope of eternal reward. A third thing about Abraham, you're going to have to listen on this one. I need to, I'm going to have to clarify it for you. Abraham's greatest allegiance was to a heavenly kingdom rather than an earthly kingdom. Abraham, uh, he left his home, he left his country to go to another country because that's what God led him to do. And, and, and our allegiance, let me, let me explain this, our allegiance ought to be more to a heavenly kingdom even in this kingdom, this nation that we live in. Now, I know that we've just passed through two uh, patriotic weekends in our country. Two weeks ago was Labor Day, and, and, and the flags were out, and, and several people were off of work and those kinds of things. It was a patriotic day for our country. Last week was a, was, was a unique thing for us because it was the 10-year anniversary of 9-11. And so there were all these things, these programs. Karen and I went to a concert last Sunday night that was a patriotic thing, a, a remembrance thing of our, of our military folks, and especially uh, folks who lost their lives back on 9-11. And, and as, I, as I age, as I get older, I think I'm more and more thankful uh, for people who serve in the military and who defend uh, the kind of life that I live or that you live. And, and it's a wonderful thing. And I, and I tell people more and more to love your country and, and do what you can to make it better and treasure your freedom and honor those people who died to give it to you. But here's the point. Your ultimate allegiance ought to be to the one whose blood saved you from the very pit of hell. And that's the Lord Jesus. You know, in the, in the Bible, when God's people got caught in a tension between the laws of God and the laws of man, they had to make some tough choices at times. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got caught there, right? I mean, they were commanded by the authorities that, that were to bow down and worship an idol. And they said, we, we won't do it. We won't do it because our allegiance is to God. We bow down to God. And it cost them a trip to the furnace, the fiery furnace. Daniel did a similar thing. He was commanded by the authorities that be uh, not to pray to any God, but the king. And Daniel said, I got to pray to the God I serve. And he, and he did it. And it cost him a trip to the lion's den. In, in Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested and they were told not to speak of Jesus again. They were, they were threatened and warned. 
And they said this to the authorities that were. They said, we have to obey God rather than men. Their ultimate allegiance was there. In, in our country, and I think I can remember this even in my 54 years of life. In our country, there used to not be such a tension as there is now between the laws of God and the laws of men. They tended to be closer together. And, and now in my life, I catch myself having to decide about things where those two things are coming into conflict more and more and more. And as a guy who preaches, I can foresee days when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel compelled to say things that may put me at odds with the powers that be. But our ultimate allegiance has to be to God than to, uh, ultimately, than, than, than an earthly kingdom. But I will say this before I leave that. If your ultimate allegiance is to God rather than an earthly kingdom, this earthly kingdom that we live in will be a better place, right? Because what you and I will do is bring God into all this stuff, and it will become a better place when, when our allegiance is to God. Last thing I want to say about Abraham. This will be number four under how he was changed. Abraham lived a faithful life here, but he anticipated heaven. Verse 16 says that, that he desired a better, that is a heavenly country. So here's what I mean by that, is that Abraham lived his life here in faith. He didn't neglect his life here, but he kind of had an eye toward heaven. He knew it was coming, and he knew this was temporary. When we were in Madagascar, um, we got there on a Wednesday night and we left on a Wednesday night. But our work in those little villages was over with on Monday night. The last thing that I was responsible to do was to meet in a little home with nine church leaders from that little church over there in, in, in Monacombahini Kelly was the name of the town. And to sit with them and to pray with them and to say, they were, they were asking the questions of one another more than me. What, what do we do now? What, where do we go from here? I caught myself explaining to them our team kid program uh, because they were wondering what to do with all those kids. And, and I, I felt funny sitting in a home in Madagascar saying, this is what we do in, in northwest Oklahoma. But when that was done, when we had prayed for the last time and I'd shaken hands with those men and embraced them as a brothers in Christ, my whole mindset for the trip changed. You know why? All I could think of then was getting back home. Right? My work there was done. And so we started back the next morning. It was Tuesday morning, and our plane didn't leave till Wednesday night because we were going to take a little side excursion through the rainforest, which was wonderful, but my heart wasn't there. You know why? My heart was home, right? And so Wednesday afternoon, we got back to Tana, the capital city, got back to Matt and Lucinda's. Lucinda fixed us a great meal, and we're sitting there at supper, and she. She turned to me. Our plane was to leave about midnight that night. She turned to me, and, and there was all, all of her family, and then all of us from, from Moreland were there. And uh, she said, what's the thing you're looking forward to most when you get back home? And just like that, I said, tomorrow night I see my wife, and Saturday I see my grandsons. That's what I'm looking forward to. That night they took us to the airport in, in Anton and Arivo, and I sat on that plane, and, and, and finally that pilot uh, accelerated forward, and we took off down that runway. And, and, and the instant that those tires left that runway, I thought, I'm on my way home. I'm on my way home. It took us 11 hours to fly from Tana to Paris. 11 hours. That was a long time to sit on a plane. And then we had a little bit of a, a, a anxiety there about catching our next flight, but we got it. And it took us eight hours to fly from Paris to Detroit, Michigan. 
and we almost missed our plane from Detroit to Oklahoma City. I think it would have killed me to have had to lay over because I was planning on being home later that night. And, and we, we literally ran to the gate and got there whenever they were fixing to load that plane for Oklahoma City. And so we were on that plane and, and we flew that thousand miles or so from Detroit to Oklahoma City. And, and it took us about two hours. And as we landed in Oklahoma City and, and as we taxied up to that gate and, and uh, they stopped the plane and flicked the lights on, uh, I turned to Bev Kelting, who was sitting next to me, and I said, we made it. We made it. We got, in, we got in the van. We had a church van there. It took us longer. Think about this. It took us longer to drive from Will Rogers Airport to Moreland than it did to fly from Detroit to Oklahoma City. But I didn't care because on that way, I found things. I, I, I knew things, right? Uh, hey, I'm, uh, there's the Cherokee Trading Post, right? There's Gary. I'm in Watonga now. Ceiling's the only thing left between me and home. And, and that night, about 2.30, I got home. And, and, and there was my wife, and, and it was a great thing. Here's what I learned when you're desperate to get home. Listen to these things. I'll, try, I'll make them real quick. There are four things I learned. When you're trying to get home, number one, you make sure you're on the right road there, right? When we went into an airport, I learned this. I'm not a world traveler, but I learned this. When we would go into an airport, first thing we would do is get in the terminal and, and go through security usually. But then we would find one of those big boards that has all the flight numbers on it. Some of you have traveled and you know what I'm talking about. And find where our next flight was going to go from. Right? You got to be in Terminal C and Gate 15. And we would get there and then we'd wait on that plane from there. We'd make sure we were, we were where we were supposed to be. Listen, if you're going to get to a heavenly home, you better be on the right path. Amen. And the Bible says, Jesus said it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets there but by me. That's what he said. Second thing I learned being desperate to get home is you look forward to those great reunions. I looked forward to seeing my wife and my kids and my grandsons and my church family to tell them about that trip. Bible says heaven is a place where there's going to be great reunions. You can anticipate that. I have sat with many people in 20 years as a pastor who were near death, near death. And you know what? They'd they'd live lives of faith. They'd seen friends or, or family, maybe husbands or wives go on. And as they laid in a bed... Uh, with death coming, I heard them, I've heard them tell me about how much they anticipated going there. I get to see my husband again. I get to see my parents again. I get to see Jesus. Anticipate great reunions. A third thing I learned on the trip home is that when you're desperate to get home, you'll trust other people to get you there, right? There's no way I could have got from Madagascar to Oklahoma by myself. I got on a plane in Madagascar in Antananarivo, I didn't know who the pilot was, much less go up there and ask him if he was qualified to drive this rig. All, you know, I, I, I just trusted him, and he got us where we needed to go. If you're going to get to that heavenly home, you're going to have to trust somebody else to get you there because you can't do it, but Christ can get you there. That's who you trust. That's who you trust. One other thing I learned, that when you're desperate to get home, you'll tell anybody who will listen about your home. I caught myself in airports and on planes uh, telling people about Oklahoma, Northwest Oklahoma. People in Madagascar, some of them didn't even know what Oklahoma was. You know, it's a state. But I'd tell them, oh, my home is like this. When we would go in those rice fields or see those rice fields, I would say, we do a similar thing, but it's wheat and it's on a bigger scale. It was just a cool thing. I'd say, this is what it's like in Oklahoma. You and I ought to be telling people about our heavenly home. Because most people don't think beyond the right now. They're thinking 50 years, 60 years, 80 years. That's it. We ought to tell them there's something better than this. There's something better than this that awaits us. 
The Bible in verse 16 gives to Abraham and Sarah and these other men and women of faith an incredible compliment. I want you to notice it. You probably have heard it. It says that God was not ashamed to be called their God. You know why? Because they lived lives of faith here. They lived as pilgrims here knowing that that was their home. It changed how they lived right here. I, I know some of you, I know that you have uh, good lives here and, and, and good families. And, and I'm going to say something to you to shake you a little bit. Don't get too comfortable because it gets better there. And even though you love where you are and you should, you should invest yourself here. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, uh, uh, this passage about a man that we read about. We know is a great man of faith, Abraham. And, and we see this little glimpse of his thought process where he, he knew this wasn't it. He knew there was something better. And so he invested for that. He, he looked forward to that. Lord, help us not to ever neglect this life that you've given us. Help us to be salt and light right where you've planted us and live life to the full. But help us to know that we're strangers here. This is not all there is. Lord, I, I, would, I would think that it's possible in this group that there would be people here who your Holy Spirit has, has convicted of the fact that maybe they've gathered too many things or invested or they're investing in the wrong things here. They're not storing up any treasure in heaven, but, but, but just treasures here that are going to waste away. I, I pray that you would, would, would show them what you would have them to do. And Lord, I, I would think possibly there's somebody here who doesn't know um, where they're going to spend eternity. And I pray that they would know that Christ is the answer and he's the only way to heaven. He's the peace that you've given to us. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to get where you are but through him. I, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would simply do what I can't do or what Chris can't do or what Pastor Jason can't do. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work on people's hearts. And as we leave this building in just a few moments, that we would go away knowing that we're doing what you want us to do. We're being what you want us to be. Lord, I, I thank you for your word and the power of it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.